love Mr. Tidwell so much. Me too. If he dies, I'm gonna be upset. Uh, so they make it down to the York Pool. <laughs> Nothing from Danielle. Uh, they make it down to the York Pool, um, <laughs> and we get the description of, uh, again, entering into just this place of agony and despair. Oh, um, the worst. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, Mr. Tidwell instructs her which pier to go to. Um, one is for deinfestation. One is for reinfestation. Um, uh, we get we get pointed out to us the voluntary controllers who are just fucking watching Full House, laughing in a room. And it's yeah, it's, it's the most. Cassie specifically says it's the most horrifying sound yet in this situation where she is hearing people screaming and like crying and like the bellowing of hork bajir mm-hmm. and all of the sounds of like agony from sapient beings and then this group of people laughing yeah um she joins the line and we get very visceral descriptions uh. of the people in front of her including a child um and how they react like the different ways that people react uh, when the Yurk leaves them, uh, the child fucking starts screaming and crying. Um, and she is struggling to keep Mr. Tidwell's face expressionless. Um, which kind of, uh, uh, answers her questions from earlier about whether it's, uh, second nature or not to reflect your emotions on your host's face. And here we can see, like, it is. She, her own emotions are affecting Mr. Tidwell's expressions, and she has to consciously struggle yeah. to keep his face expressionless. To, to go back to the, the short tangent I had earlier about, like, OSDD, it, yes, Cassie is a separate being, but right now, like, she is so connected into Mr. Tidwell's brain that they are the, like, they're not the same person. But they are the same being, and if while she is in control, like everything she feels is something that can be expressed, and it's not as she doesn't have to manipulate it or force it through. Mm-hmm. It just happens. There is no delay. If Mister Tidwell was in control, like it, the same thing, you know, like how we just as regular people who don't have another person in her head, or rather you. <laughs> <laughs> without another person in your head like you just sometimes it's just hard and you you know express an emotion you maybe didn't even realize your face was making Mm -hmm. because yes we have very nuanced control over everything to do with our bodies that doesn't mean we're consciously aware of it Mm -hmm. whatsoever Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's super interesting that like the level of like complete integration yurks have with their hosts because we've kind of had this before but it was from the host side of it where they're horrified realizing they can't control anything Mm -hmm. but from the yurk side it is such a complete integration in a way that's like you don't like you get from the host side but it's there's like 
a difference in in the perspective, you know, because mm-hmm. it's the two different sides and you see it from the York side. It's just, yeah, it's a complete integration. It's not because like, Cassie is not actively trying to suppress Mr. Tidwell here. Right. From what I can see, she has not made any mention of doing that. Mm-hmm. She's just there. Mm-hmm. I honestly, I have no doubt that if he had to, Mr. Tidwell probably could have taken control again in this, like oh, probably, any yeah. of these moments because Cassie's not actively keeping him locked out mm-hmm. they are in essence co-fronting <laughs> yeah it's um the the way that i've described yurks in dumb kids comes from mm-hmm. this a lot because it's it's that totally unconscious assuming of control where it's like yeah. you don't even have to think about it you just like oh i want to move my you don't even think like i want to move my hand it's just like it's you move your hand hand move yeah um and and how it's instead of having to focus on controlling you have to focus on not controlling yeah um if you want to relinquish that control um but it's it's fascinating to me Um, it is super fascinating and as somebody who deals with this honestly all the time (laughs) (laughs) if you ever want to ask a question just feel free like if you're just thinking about this and i can possibly give like some something Mm -hmm. because i deal with this constantly Mm -hmm. this is a thing um the way that like my shit works um i don't want to use too many terms that people don't know right now because i don't want to get into a whole thing explaining them but the way that my thing works is like i have to actively kind of pull myself back to allow other people control because trauma related mm-hmm. reasons um and it's very similar for me to like just kind of okay i am not actively keeping people away from being able to do things but i am in control mm-hmm. i have to pull myself back to allow other people to control and be able to do things or you know talk to people usually it's somebody talking to somebody else on discord (laughs) (laughs) so and a lot of times what ends up happening is if we're both trying to do something at the same time i'm filtering the other person's thoughts and typing for them Mm -hmm. and just i'm not reacting Mm -hmm. it's their reactions that i'm putting down and that's how it works for me it does i'm gonna say this it does not work like this for everybody osdd is a very complicated thing that is different for literally everybody there are common quote-unquote symptoms and things that are similar across the board but everybody is different and this is how it is with me Mm -hmm. and it is fascinating to me even as i experience it because it is so fucking weird. And seeing it described like this with with Yerks, it's like, this is fascinating <laughs> that the ghostwriter and K.A. and Michael Grant all managed to get this so right mm-hmm. without coming at it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, it is fascinating. And I I love it. <laughs> I God, I want to know more about the Yerks that aren't part of all this bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh 
So after the small child, there's a hork and the hork is upset, obviously. Yep. Because hork Yep. <laughs> and then there's a dude who tries to run away, but is uh, shot by Drakenbeam. Um, not killed Stunned. because it's a good host body, but mm-hmm. captured, recaptured easily. Um, Cassie puts Ilum up her sleeve, um, and so that when she, uh, exits Mr. Tidwell's body, she can also put Ilum into the Yerk pool so that Mr. Tidwell can pick up Ilum just on the other side of the pool later. Um, so yeah, she gets into the Yerk pool. Um, and then we get the second, the second part of that juxtaposition I mentioned. Uh, the first thing I did was release Ilum. Then I slithered over to Mr. Tidwell's ear canal, breaking my connections to his brain. I scrunched my body down as I wiggled my way through the tiny tunnel. Then I was free, out in the yerk pool. I was blind, almost deaf, and mute. But here's the strange part. I didn't care. I was with my brothers and sisters, soaking in the candrona rays my body craved. If I'd had a mouth, I would have let out a long ah of satisfaction. I was home. I was home? I mentally gave, I gave myself a mental slap on both cheeks. I'd yet my, let my yerk instincts take over for a minute, and this was definitely not home. But like, this is so interesting. Yes. This is why I say that the yerks would be perfectly happy in their pools if they weren't brainwashed otherwise. Yeah, cause like, they just want a vibe. Yep. They just want to vibe in their little weird sludge pools with all of the other yurks because, like, it's comfortable. Yes, having a host body, it 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 it's like doing recreational drugs. Yeah, like that's what it is. That is what taking over for yurks, taking over a host is. It's like doing recreational drugs. See, experiencing sensation mm-hmm. is addictive. Mm-hmm. And like for it's the same thing for humans. That's why we do drugs. That's why we drink alcohol. Yeah. It's an addictive thing to experience new sensations or to fuzz out other ones mm-hmm. so that like there are certain other ones that maybe get more heightened or just kind of you get to just float, mm-hmm. you know, depending on what you're doing. Um, it's addictive and it's, I like, they are brainwashed, but this is something where it's like, I wouldn't be mad at them <laughs> about this. It is an addictive sensation. Right. To experience sensation. Mm-hmm. So, like, I get it. Yeah. But also, like, they'd be just fine not doing drugs. Yeah. You know? Because they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Having a host is not something they have to do. But like you said, they're brainwashed into thinking that they have to experience this, that they have to do this. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, we talked about this a little bit with the Hork-Bajir Chronicles. Um, but the, this idea that they're, they're taught that, um, like getting a host is the best thing that you should want to get a host. And then once they give them that taste of, the did like, you want to smoke cigarettes kids yeah like the like the freedom of movement it's the same thing with like your dealer will give you the first sample free because then you get addicted for, to like, it and super you go back cheap right yeah. um and so 
uh, like you, you get a yerk into a host. Tell, tell them first that they should want a host. Get them into a, into a host to experience these addictive sensations. Um, and then it becomes easy to reinforce the idea of like, no, you should want this. You deserve this. Um, and the, the creatures who are screaming that like, this is unfair. They just don't understand. Yeah. And, and they're, they're lesser. Um, yeah. And so it's like, it's, it's, it's extremely like you can very clearly see the line from A to B here, um, yeah. as to how this works for the empire. Um, and again, the Yerks at this point do have the technology to be able to just talk to people mm -hmm. without having to like infest somebody. They could just like with their little, their little nubbies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> their little nubbies just, you know, they know how to use a computer. Computers are just, they're, forget. So we've, we've talked about like the, the symbiotic thing that they could end up doing. They could also just build robot bodies. It's all just electrical currents. Yeah. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, there's, there's solutions here, y'all. Yep. But they're all brainwashed. Yeah. And the ones that are still in Homeworld, like, they're currently like under lockdown by the Andalites, right? Right. So they're not going to be able to do anything mm -hmm. whatsoever. They're not going to be able to explore these other options because the Endolites are like, no, yeah, fuck you, yeah, because uh, like a small portion of you guys went off and decided to cause problems, so all of you are obviously the worst, right? It's uh, and yeah. you are not allowed to do anything mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel bad about the hor uh, hor I obviously feel bad about the hor I feel bad about the Yerks because. There's such a nuance to their situation yeah. that, like, because one of the reasons why this is even happening is because there is an outside force influencing them. Yeah. Fucking Krayak. Yeah. It's it, it's very cultish. Um, and fun fact: I had a a a recurring nightmare I get sometimes about a cult <laughs> last night. Fun. <laughs> um, yeah, we're fun. Yeah. But, like, as uh, I think a lot of people are aware, it can be extremely fucking difficult to leave a cult. Um, yes. For a variety of reasons. Even if you leave. Yeah, and even if you leave and manage to get away, they can still find ways to harass you. Yeah. Uh, I follow some people on TikTok who are, like, ex-cult members who escaped, like, from, like, Christian cults or other types of cults. Mm -hmm. And, like, they still get fucking harassed and, like, stalked mm -hmm. on TikTok and other places by these people. Yeah. Which is, like, the Yerk peace movement is, to a degree, like, desperately trying to move away from the cult. Like, there's still mm -hmm. some of the cult ideas in them, but they're also, like, but we know there's another way. Yeah. We don't have to be doing it like this. Yeah. It's, yeah. It just, it makes me so angry at the Empire. Um, because, like, not only are they doing the absolutely heinous thing of enslaving free people and, like, telling everybody that they're not people um but they're also depriving their own people of their own culture um, yeah uh and also you know uh convincing other races that what you would just be better off with us mm -hmm. taxons yeah 
I'm, I'm constantly upset about the taxons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the president of the taxon. Fucking. I don't know. I think Will might be president of the taxon fan club. Eh, that's fair. <laughs> we can be like co presidents. That's true. I'm the vice president. That's true. Um, I love taxons. And uh, you can bet your fucking ass that the taxons in my Idiot Teenagers game are going to be nuanced. <laughs> Did you? I'm, I'll I'll talk about that later with you. Um, yeah. <laughs> sorry, we're we're still getting so very distracted. <laughs> it's it's a Sunday, and we don't have our third person. We don't we don't have our moderating influence. Um, <laughs> so the one who's gonna be like, okay, back on track, y'all. Um. So all right. So Cassie's in the Yerk pool. Um. She finds Aftran. Well, first she has to figure out how to swim as a Yerk. But she figures it out. Well, first, first she like does some sonar sweeps, and she's like, "There are so many yurks," and she uses like their like little like every time somebody's head gets thrusted into the water, there's like a wave mm-hmm. that like pushes the yurks away. Mm-hmm. And she sees over uh, at like a steel pier that there's a little box underneath one. Yeah. Um, and then she's like, "How the fuck do I get over there?" Mm-hmm. And she's like trying to wiggle. Yeah. And it doesn't get her very far. Yep. And she's like, "Wait, no." Yerk instincts. <laughs> and then the thing, the f- phrase that I started echolollying last night as I was reading is scrunch thrust. Scrunch thrust. Scrunch thrust. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a silly it's phrase. Very like silly. You, can, you can imagine it in your head what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And it's very funny, but it's also, you know, effective. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like watching an inchworm move. Yes. Except in water. Yes. <laughs> um. I wasn't exactly ready for the Olympic team, but I was moving faster than I had been. Scrunch thrust, scrunch thrust, scrunch thrust. <laughs> it's such a silly phrase. Yep. She makes it over to the cage. Um, it's a metal box with very, very small holes over it. Um, to, the holes are too small for even a yerk to sque- squeeze through. Um, but it would be pretty open, pretty easy to open if she had hands. Um, but the problem is that she's right underneath the reinfestation pier. And so, like, if a yerk caught her on their sonar, uh, demorphing in the pool, then it would immediately be able, like, Upon reinfesting its host, it would immediately be able to report that to everybody. Uh, oh, and also Visser 3 is here. Um, yep, Visser 3 is always here. Yep, he's ready to begin the interrogation, uh, and he's very excited about it. Um, so, yeah, he, like, just get the fucking, the voice, the voice of pure evil. Mm-hmm. I am ready to interrogate the prisoner. Yep. Um... And, uh, Cassie, thinking fast, uh, infests the person who currently has their head shoved into the yerk pool to be reinfested. Um, she's like a adolescent girl or something. Yeah. She pushes the other yerk out of the way. (laughs) No, mine. Fuck you. Mine. (laughs) I just, from the perspective of the other yerk, I can just imagine them being like, man, what the fuck? (laughs) Bruh, my host. Um, but so she connects to <laughs> this host. The host is voluntary. She's a member of the sharing. So, uh, Cassie has to keep all of her thoughts on super duper lockdown. Um, and. Oh no, I accidentally backed out of the book. Oh god. It's fine. Um, and <laughs> I on accident. she's pulled back up. And, uh, before the 
girl has a chance to realize that it's not her yurk, her yurk in the body. Um, Cassie acts. She basically turns around, uh, looking at Visser 3, who's in his Andalite morph halfway down the pier, um, facing away from her. Uh, and he's got the box. He's unlatches Aftran's cage and just pulls her out with his hands. Um, and like is like starting to begin the interrogation. Like, you're going to tell me everything you know, or you're going to die long and painful. Um, and so Cassie just like fucking bodies Visser 3. <laughs> just launches herself at him. Uh, and snatches Aftran from the Visser's wrist, from the Visser's fist, biting him just on the wrist. Yeet. And just like Aftran drops, she grabs her, runs, and dives back into the yerk pool. With She's like, oh god, where do I go from here? Where do I go from here? Where do I go from here? The pool! Yeet! Yes. Uh, Visser 3 is extremely angry, naturally. He sends taxons into the pool after her. Cassie dives down deep into the water, as deep as she can, uh, because people are now shooting dragon beams at the Yurk pool, not caring if they kill several of their brethren. Which, like, I really hope Ilum was able to keep away from those. Um... <laughs> and uh, a taxon is closing in on her. Uh, she bails uh, from the girl's brain. The girl is taken back up out of the water and over to the viscer, where she would now be able to tell them, like, hey, there was a yerk, and now there's not. Um, <clears throat> and Cassie's like, all right, I need something with wings. Need wings. Very badly. Wings, please. Um she and then and then uh, also the viscer finds out. Oh yeah, there's no. This creature has no yerk. There's a second traitor. Yeah. No, the Andalites. They're here. Yes. Like, um, he immediately jumps to that. I mean, naturally, because he doesn't know about the yerk peace movement. Like that's not a thing that I'm sure he. Like I'm pretty sure he doesn't know anything about that. I don't think so. Uh, he, yeah. he. I think he knows that there are traitors. He doesn't know anything else beyond that. Um, and so, uh, Cassie demorphs to human. She's brushing away the yurks that are in the pool from her, uh, and begins to morph bird. She starts morphing the owl. Jellyfish soft bodies. Yep. Uh, she starts to morph the owl, realizes that the owl is going to be too waterlogged to fly, uh, demorphs. I like her going through. This is all extremely fast paced. I'm talking really fast because that's like how it reads. Like you are flying through the book at this point. Yeah. Um, Because this is all within like a matter of just seconds and minutes as she's doing this and as this is all happening. She's she's still on the same breath. (laughs) Um, She's starting to get dizzy. She realizes she she can use her osprey morph because they have to be able to get wet and still fly. Not necessarily going to work when they're fucking waterlogged, but we'll let it pass. Um, I mean, she does struggle. Yeah. Um, she begins to morph, uh, and, uh, she tells Aftran to get in between her talons, um, closes her talons on a yerk that slides into her talons, um, and- Hoping and praying it's Aftran. Yeah. And, uh, goes up to the surface- pushes her beak through just to get as much air as possible, and then just, like, tries to fucking power out of there. There's no way to sneak out. That She just has to try. Um, uh, dragon beams are Visser, firing a at bird. her. Uh, the Visser, 
it has morphed into some weird monster with tentacles that will numb you if they hit you. Um, so she's still struggling to get out of the pool, even. The viscer has numbed one of her wings. Um, and she, she is, she is on her own. She doesn't have anybody else to distract the viscer. It's just her. Um, it's a, he's morphed a floating eyeball with long, long tentacles for lashes. I hate it. <laughs> the, the, the world's most fucked up beholder. Yep. Um, she, uh, she can't breathe really well because she's still half underwater. Uh, she keeps getting hit by these tentacles so she can, can't really feel her wings anymore. She's still struggling. Uh, uh, think of Axe. Think of Jake. I thrust my wings down again and again. Rachel, Tobias, Marco. More red dots exploding. I couldn't hold my breath much longer. I broke through the surface of the water. Mom. Dad. I pulled. Up, up, up. Muscles screaming in pain. Yes, I was out of reach of the tentacles. I wheeled around and flapped toward the staircase. Uh, the humans in the cages cheered. The human controllers cursed and howled, howled in fury. The taxons shrieked. The hork controllers bellowed. I caught a glimpse of Mr. Tidwell. He pumped his fist in the air. To the others, it probably looked like an angry gesture, but I knew it was triumph. She's still dodging dragon bean blasts. Um, a hunter robot goes after her, um, and she fucking poops on the camera in order to keep it from attacking her. Uh, it- I do, I do want to point out the Visser 3 yells at everybody, like, would it be asking too much for one of you to actually hit something? Yeah, it's great. They have very, very much Stormtrooper aim. Granted, a yep. uh, single Osprey flying is not necessarily an easy target to hit, but <laughs> they have Stormtrooper disease here. <laughs> um... <laughs> And so she dodges the hunter robot, shoots up the stairs, is going straight towards a metal door, the metal door of the uh, uh, McDonald's. She's going out the same entrance she came in, um, but it's closed. Birds can't work doorknobs. She doesn't know what to do. Um, but then someone comes. Accidentally- well, she also accidentally triggers the Gleet biofilter. Yep. Because she just kind of, like, goes up too close to it. Um, she's seconds away from being just fucking destroyed by the dragon beams of the biofilter when a uh, a controller walks in. She goes out. The biofilter goes off. Uh, she's half-blinded. Uh, she gets out into the McDonald's, is fluttering around, can't get out. Um, but thankfully, one of the people in the McDonald's is just like, all right, I'm going to open the door and see if it flies out. <laughs> nine out of ten humans are pretty decent creatures yep one of those nice humans concerned for a bird obviously panicked by being trapped opened the door um and she is fucking out of there <laughs> as-, as marco would say if he were here that was interesting let's never ever do it again yep uh she gets home she is trembling with exhaustion when she gets to the barn um she demorphs uh, releases Aftrain on a bale of hail, p- bale of hay, promising to get her into water in a second. Um, uh, she demorphs, and as soon as she's human again, she looks, she scoops up Aftrain, goes over to Axe's stall. Um, Axe is lying down on his side, which is something he never does, and Eric tells her that he is in crisis. I, when I tell you that I was not breathing for basically most of this chapter, <laughs> I was just like flying through it while I was reading. Yeah. Like this 
Danielle was reading this really fast. When you actually read the text, it is moving that fast. It is, it is fast paced. It is well written. You are pulled in. Yeah. And I'm sitting over here like, how the fuck did younger me read this in school? <laughs> what the fuck? Very quickly is how C read it. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't react either, I say, as if I wasn't the weird eighth grader who read the deed of Paxinarian in class. Listen, I have the best poker face when reading fic, unless <laughs> it's fluff. Like, yeah, no, fluff, <laughs> fluff, my entire, everything is just like, <laughs> they're so cute. Yeah. Doing like kickies and shit, but like violence? Yeah, nothing. Sex? Absolutely nothing. Yep. Um, so, uh, Cassie c- has to continue to be a badass. She has no other choice. Um, so Eric tells her that Axe is unconscious and has been for little more than half an hour. Um, and she's just like, oh, you poor thing. Um, when Eric kind of like gently prompts her, like, we don't really have much time. We have to do something if we're going to do anything. Um, she puts Aftran into the water trowel trough um and uh eric picks up axe just in his two arms and (laughs) carries him scooped carries him over to the operating room uh from here this is gonna get a very medical procedure detailed shit uh so take care yeah Um, content warnings uh brain surgery yeah um uh so Eric carries Axe over and puts up a hologram so the operating room looks empty. Um, Cassie has a momentary urge to just walk away, get a tub of Ben and Jerry's, and just fucking veg Sit out in front, in front of, of the TV. TV. Forget everything. <laughs> and she's just like, you know, one step at a time. This is fine. One step at a time. Uh, so first step one, get things clean. She washes everything. Um, uh, cleans act the back of axe's head um and uh gets out the scalpel that she needs and then she just kind of like freezes because she doesn't know where the gland is um and she there is no like swelling or like heat coming off of it that would indicate where it is and she cries out this is hopeless it's impossible he's going to die with me standing right next to him and Eric reminds her, you've already done one hopeless, impossible thing tonight. Um, uh, which is true. And somehow yeah. she managed to God. get after and out of her. And I love this little moment of just Eric's faith in her. Just like, listen, you've, you've done impossible things before. You can do this too. And then Cassie, reminded about Aftran, has an idea. So she goes and grabs Aftran and then brings Aftran to one of Axe's ears. And Aftrin infests Axe. Um, and she, you know, maybe she'll be able to tell us where the tria gland is from inside Axe's brain. Um, and sure enough, Aftran taps into Axe's ability to thought speak. Um, and Cassie very quickly fills her in because Aftran could not have had any fucking idea what the fuck was happening. (laughs) Um, and, uh, so, so Cassie gives her the cliff notes, uh, and Aftran is like, all right, well, this is really unconventional. We don't really have very many nerve endings in here, but maybe we can 
Um, and she's like, oh, no, wait, I know where it is. Uh, Cassie, it feels very warm and it seems very bad. <laughs> um, she tells Cassie where it is, even with the bottom of his ears dead center. Um, uh, it's about as big as a child's thumb. Um, well, Karen's thumb. Karen's maybe. thumb. <laughs> uh, and so Cassie begins the operation. Um, it's very detailed. Eric acts as a very good, uh, like second, handing her all the things she needs and like wiping away her sweat. Um, and she does very well here. She does. She's, she doesn't take the time to think because she's, she's watched her dad do this. She's probably also watched her mom do this. She did probably glance at those books mm -hmm, as well. Mm -hmm. And she has Aftran telling her where it is. Yep. So she knows, okay, we got this. I can do this. And she does it. Yep. It's as, because that, that was the one thing that stopped her, right? As long as she knew what she had to do, she, she could just go and go and go. And that, that's what happened at the air pool. As soon as she doesn't have the critical information that needs, like, that she needs in order to do anything, she's pulled up way short. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as she has that information again, she's back into crisis management mode. Um, and it is, it is just beautiful to watch because she is so competent and so just like badass. Um, she asks if Aftran can try to control Axe's heartbeats because it's speeding up a lot. Um, the gland is swelling even as they speak. Um, please hurry. Um, and, uh, then she does it. Cassie gets into Axe's brain. She cuts out the tria gland, um, and, uh, is able to remove it. Um, as soon as it's out, she tosses it into a metal pan and then just kind of like hugs herself because she's whole body shaking. Um, and she's like, don't lose it now. Finish, finish the job. And as quickly as she can, she replaces the circle of bone. Uh, puts the flap of skin down and begins to uh, suture the incision. Uh, and then Aftran reports that uh, Axe, uh, like his heart rates, his heart's rates are slowing down. His blood pressure is going down. Eric comments, that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot. Um, and then Aftran points out that Axe is coming out of unconsciousness and he's beginning to scream. Not because Cassie is hurting him, but because there's a yerk in his head. Um, Axe is flipping the fuck out. Um, he's basically like, Cassie should have just let him die because he would very much not want a yerk in his head. Yeah. Um, but also, like, he's coming out of a fever. Yeah. He's coming out of being sick. He is probably dehydrated. He's very much out of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is act like as soon as Aftran, like Aftran is like, okay, I'm coming out. I'm coming out. Um, and as soon as, as Aftran is out of Axe, he starts fucking physically freaking out. Mm -hmm. He's like, where is it? Don't let it touch me. And Cassie is like, you need to stop. You have to stay still until I finish stitching your head. And he stops moving mostly. Yep. He is, he is very much like panicking. Probably still doesn't feel very good. Mm -hmm. He woke up and there was a yerk in his head. Trauma. Yep. <laughs> um, Poor baby. Yep. 
so she gets him to to stop moving um and then when he holds himself still she as she finishes suturing his head she uh fills axe in she takes uh aftran back to the, she takes aftran to the sink fills it with water puts it in um goes back to axe um uh, and continues to explain, um, you're okay. You're in my dad's operating room. I put Aftran in your head. She looked inside you and told me where the tria gland was. She helped me operate. I got it out. You're past your crisis. Visser three was planning to interrogate Aftran tonight. He discovered she was part of the peace movement. Uh, Axe calls Aftran a filthy yerk. And Cassie says that filthy yerk helped save your life. And she very nearly gave her life for peace between human and yerk. And now, unless I can think of some way to save her, she will die a slow death of Candrona starvation. Uh, Axe doesn't say anything, um, but at least he, you know, he's not continuing to rage. Um, Eric mm -hmm. takes Axe back to the stall so that he can kind of recover. Um, we get another fun little bit about Eric's pass mm -hmm. after Cassie asks him to take Axe back to the stall. It's like, you're talking to a guy who helped build the pyramids. A few days is nothing. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> she she asks him to stay and keep the hologram up. Mm -hmm. um, and then she, I smiled at him. Thanks. I couldn't have gotten through all this without you. Yes, you could have. But you're welcome. He answered as he carried Axe out the door. And that is his faith in her. Ah, mm -hmm. uh, I love Eric. Yeah. Just, I wish we got to see him more outside of crisis mode. Yeah. I mean, he's seen the Animorphs do some crazy-ass shit. Like, just a couple books ago, they went down to the bottom of the ocean and saved yeah. all of the chi. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, these kids know what, they don't know what they're doing, but... Somehow they're they very competent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, and then we get Cassie just coming out of crisis mode. I sat down on the little stool my dad keeps by the table. I wrapped my arms around my knees. All the fear I'd been pushing away suddenly hit me. I felt like my body was deflating. It's just a delayed reaction, I told myself. You're safe. Axe is safe. Aftran's safe. That wasn't really true. Yeah, I got Aftran away from Visser 3, but in three days she would be dead. I pushed myself to my feet and leaned against the sink, staring down at her. She had done what few have the strength to do. She had questioned the belief she had been raised with. And, ultimately, she had chosen to go against her society, to turn away from everything she had once believed, to become the enemy of those closest to her. Aftran had sacrificed so much, she had experienced all the rich richness and wonder of our world, but when she decided she did not have the right to control another, she had been strong enough to give it up to save a little girl's life. She returned to the Yerk Pool. It must have felt like the worst kind of prison to her after being in Karen's body. But she didn't allow herself to wallow in despair. She chose to fight. She battled to free us all. I reached into the water and slid Aftran into my hands. I pressed her against my ear. It was the only way I could talk to her, and I needed to thank her for all she'd done. A moment later, I felt her cold, slick body touch my skin. My ear canal tingled as she pushed her way through. I knew you would come for me, Cassie, she said, as soon as she made her connections with my brain. Which is the first thing that Aftran tells her. After all of this. It is... So, and also throughout this like when she picks Aftran up like we don't get as it's been described in other parts of this book like Cassie doesn't feel revulsion towards Aftran mm -hmm. she just she 
picks her up and lets her infest her because Cassie now understands so much more deeply about the Yerks. Mm-hmm. And cries. <laughs> yep. uh, there was so much I wanted to say to her, I hardly knew where to start. Thank you for helping me save Axe's life, I answered. She laughed. If you had told me when we first met that I would ever do anything to aid an Andalite, or become a Yerk freedom fighter, I added. That too, Aftran agreed. Her tones turned somber then. Cassie, there's something I have to ask you to do for me. Uh, anything, I replied instantly. Uh, and she asks Cassie to, uh, kill her so that she doesn't have to die the slow death of Candrona starvation. Um, and Cassie is like, no, I can't do that. Um, and like comes up with like the idea, like you could stay in me. It's like, no, you would have to go to the Yerk pool. That's too dangerous. She must have felt the wave of despair and sorrow sweeping through me. It's not so bad to die for what you believe in. There are much worse deaths, she said gently. Many worse deaths. Yep. That is such a line. Mm-hmm. I also love- This book goes hard. Yeah. I also love just before that. I felt a lump of unshed tears form in my throat. Were they mine or Aftran's? Maybe they were both of ours. Both of ours. That gave me the idea. And that's where she says, you could stay in me. Um. <sighs> It's good shit. Um, it's good shit. And then we and then come we kickflip into the sun. <laughs> we we get a little kickflip into the sun. Uh, it's actually not that much of a kickflip into the sun. No, it is. It's 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 a good like like it's a good little bow. Pull back and like come down from the intensity of this book. Mm-hmm. Um. Also, I don't think Cassie got sick. I don't think so either. <laughs> yeah, I do not think she got sick whatsoever. Everybody else got sick, and Cassie just nope fine yep um so uh everyone is at the beach and they are all trying to one-up each other as to who had it worse when they were sick um and axe uh comes in with the the fucking ace of a yerk was in my head axe said still amazed yeah i like that choice of amazed rather than revolted or anything like that like the fact that he can he's had time to think about yeah the fact that he can kind of throw it around in this kind of uh lighter conversation um does suggest that he was able to come to terms with it at least in this particular situation um Mm -hmm. um and cassie's mostly just kind of like ignoring everybody else and enjoying just life uh, there's nothing like a trip to the york pool to make you appreciate life and freedom they're also they're at the beach just by the way mm-hmm. like cassie's got like warm sand sliding between her toes she's enjoying the the smell and sounds of the ocean um and then is this where we're supposed to meet aftran jake asked and i like I didn't see this, any of this coming whatsoever. (laughs) Like, this, this ending chapter did in fact almost make me cry. And I'm going to let Danielle go forward with this because I will probably cry if I try to read it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Is this what we're supposed to meet after? And Jake asked. Uh Uh-huh. When I morphed to Dolphin and visited her this morning, she said it's time for her to move on. But she wanted to say goodbye, I answered. Just look out there. 
I pointed out at the blue-green water. Uh, and Tobias spots her first. We turned. I scanned the ocean and spotted a foamy spot. The water broke over a massive fin. Then a humpback whale leaped all the way out of the water. Droplets of water flew off her in a sparking comet. There should be a picture of that scene in the dictionary, under beauty and joy. We made the right decision, Jake said, better than the last time we used the blue box. Uh, on Aftran's second day out of the Yerkpool, everyone in the group was well enough for a short meeting. We all agreed that we couldn't let Aftran die. It was Jake who thought of the way to save her. He suggested that we give her the power to morph, on the condition that she choose one morph and stay in it forever. It was just safer that way. For everyone. Like I said, the decision was unanimous. Uh, Aftran took another sparking flight. I felt like my heart was leaping with her. It felt good. We were all together again, alive, well, and Aftran was free. How amazing was that? Aftran's moving out, heading for the deep ocean, Tobias announced. She must feel like she's in paradise, I said. Can you imagine living in the ocean after the yerk pool? And in that body, fast, powerful, able to see, hear, feel, and communicate? I bet she'll miss the fight, though, Rachel added. She's done her part, Jake said. I thought back to that moment when I had first allowed Aftran into my head. One decision, so many consequences. I caught Jake watching me. What? I asked. He shrugged, just wondering what you were thinking. Nothing very profound, I said, just... Just what? Just that every now and then, we actually win one. He nodded. Sometimes we do win, he agreed. This time, this time, Cassie, you won. It's so good. It's very this good. Is, this is, like, a lot of times they do, like, the kickflip into the sun, and it's not good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the burgers. <laughs> but with this, this is, it's, it's not a kickflip into the sun. It is showing that you can leave the fight if you need to, to take care of yourself. And it may not always feel like you're allowed to, but sometimes it is the best decision to do so because you can't help more. You know? And it's... I just have a lot of emotions about this part of the book. Uh, don't think about Rachel saying that she'll miss the fight and Jake saying she's done her part. And I'm constantly thinking about it. Uh-huh. Uh, and how it reflects their views on the war and how much Jake wishes that he could lay down his responsibility and move forward without all of this and how much Rachel, uh, feels that she would be maybe a little lost without the fight. Um, and... I'm 13 and I'm sad. Yep. I'm sad about Animorphs 2K22. Mm -hmm. um, I hope everybody's been drinking water this whole time and not alcohol, because... <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, it is a very... Uh, necessary bittersweet moment because this is book 29 we're about halfway through the series at this point mm -hmm. um and they haven't had a win in a while um no. like the win against the howlers felt bad um yeah it did not feel good and um, a lot of their like everything else hasn't really been a win yeah. it's just been surviving 
surviving and fighting and <sighs> yeah and they get this one thing where they were able to save a per- like a whole person mm-hmm. and let them not have to be part of this anymore yeah something that I don't want to say all of them because yeah Rachel has complicated feelings about it but to a degree, they all don't want to be doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, gonna pull a comparison here? If if Rachel had a different outlet for being able to fight, like Ariel being, you know, like, a boxer mm. in DKPH, um, I could, they, they just, the words. Everybody knows what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. It's it. Rachel is very complicated. Um, she's very complicated, and if she had a different outlet for this, I think she would be able to be okay with being away from. Oh yeah. No, I think war. I think one of the greatest disservices that the writers do Rachel is the continued insistence that Rachel would not be able to cope full stop without the war. Like, I I really don't like it. I think they they did Rachel dirty doing that. Yeah. Um, because I think that it would be hard, but she <clears throat> could find outlets. Yes. And that would maybe not give her the same be- uh, like adrenaline rush because there's not necessarily the you could die, mm-hmm. but she would be able to fight. Yeah. She would be able to do things. Yeah. That help her cope with everything and not go like stir crazy, basically. Yeah. And it like, it does a disservice too to like, cause, cause, uh, they're all, they're all kind of analogies to real world soldiers, right? You have the soldier who Mm -hmm. has a hard time leaving the war behind, but like, that's not like it's painted as a failing of Rachel when what it should be is a failing of anyone around that particular soldier of being able to give them the support they need to come out of it. Um, as opposed to just and, like, oh no, they just, they, they're the kind of person who can't leave the war behind. And it's like, that's bad. I hate it. And in, in some, pl- like a lot of times that, that is exactly how the writing comes across is yeah. them doing a disservice to Rachel. And then there are other times, especially when we get, jake books dealing with rachel where it's jake as much as he hates it has to try and actively cultivate that idea Mm -hmm. so that he keeps getting rachel at her honestly her worst Mm. like worse not as in like worse as in badly written but worse as a person Mm -hmm. because she is a good fighter she is very good at doing it but it's not good for her. Mm-hmm. It's encouraging a very destructive behavior. Mm-hmm. And, but they need that. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, the worst. <laughs> <laughs> We're sad about these kids. Yeah. But yeah, that's, <gasps> that's book 29. Um, it's a wild ride. It does a lot of really good things in terms of the, um, wider lore of the war. 
Yeah. Um, in terms it is, of it is super good on that. Yeah, establishing the peace movement, telling us about what it's like to be a voluntary controller through Ilum and Tidwell, um, mm-hmm. or like an actual voluntary controller, not like evil voluntary control. Yeah, for yeah, lack yeah. of a Somebody better word, who is like coerced yeah. in one way or another. Yeah. Um. And uh, it give or somebody who is like ah, you will give me power, mm-hmm. and those are just awful capitalists. Yeah. Um. But it it does a lot in terms of that. In the same way that we learned a lot more about the Yerks in Book Nineteen, this book mm-hmm. does a very similar thing in a more direct way because we're not seeing it necessarily through the lens of, um an outside character like we saw through the lens of Aftran we're seeing it almost firsthand through Cassie yeah um and it it does very good things uh if you think you can stomach the content of this book i highly recommend reading it um it is it is a very very good one and like it it is a lot like do mind the content warnings yeah. this is very visceral very heavy and we do not begrudge anybody for not like there were you heard us there were parts that we just kind of glossed over because of how they're written they're very heavy mm-hmm. um and it is it is a rough book for cassie but it is a good book yeah um this ghostwriter did a phenomenal job mm-hmm. this is fucking favorite cassie book best cassie book yeah no pretty much love cassie in this book um everything else no (laughs) yeah it's uh, part of it is because we're not bogged down in because cassie doesn't have time to stop and think about shit we're not bogged down in her uh uh anxiety moralizing yes that's a very good way to put it is her anxiety moralizing um where she kind of like flipped flips back and forth on certain issues and just like goes around in circles in her mind uh, about the same moral question. Instead, we get a very focused book where um, she does think about these things, but thinks about it in the context of like what is actually happening around her. Mm -hmm. It's not her just like sitting and musing on things. It's not something happened and the rest of the book is her Having to do similar actions to the thing that happened, but she yeah t- has the anxiety moralizing. Yeah. And this, it's it's happening as she's having to think about it, and she can't anxiety moralize. She has to make that decision. Yeah. She has to do the thing again. She makes good decisions the first time because she is a good egg. She her first instincts are very good. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of times where, like, you'll hear this phrase tossed around, like, your first thought is uh, what you were, like, socialized to think. Mm-hmm. Your second thought is what you actually think. For Cassie, she was socialized to be a good person. Mm-hmm. And so her first thought, her first decisions is usually what she does actually think. But then she overthinks it. Mm-hmm. And second guesses the decision or the idea of the decision mm-hmm. and either doesn't make the decision or makes a different decision that ends up bad. Yeah. I mean, we saw that in 19 
We saw just how conflicted she was and how unable to make a decision she was until she had literally no other choice but to make the decision. Which, like, mm, speaks to my procrastinating anxiety heart. Like, (laughs) just just the, the feeling of being trapped between possibilities and decisions and, like, being unable to make a choice until it is literally the last moment and you have to act on instinct. Like, yeah, I relate to that on a frightening level. Um, <laughs> Same. But it's a lot of the times, like, my decisions that I make, like, if I don't have the time to think about it, do end up being, like, okay mm-hmm. decisions. They are not always the best, but mm-hmm. they work. Yeah. They work out. They don't usually cause problems. If I sit and think about it for too long, they cause problems. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's one of those things that not making a decision is also making a decision. Um, yes. But it, it's hard to conceptualize that way. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's really good to see Cassie, uh, in this space, uh, especially when contrasted to where she was in book 19. Where in book 19, oh, she yeah. was basically like reacting to everything. Um, and, even then it was like a delayed reaction because she they were alone in the woods and she had nothing but time to think. Um yeah. Whereas here she is very proactive. There are multiple times where she comes up with an idea that she then acts on. Um and I I don't know, it's it's very good. It is very very good and God, I want more books where we get this kind of like nuanced look at what is happening and i know based on things you've said that that's not necessarily a thing that's going to happen no nope. um but i i want it so bad and this is what fan fiction is for <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh oh. after we we you know i've i've done um a lot of thinking about like what books are coming up and like which which ones are going to be good and which ones are not and there <laughs> there are not many in the 30s that do good things um there are not many in the 40s that do good things uh because they're all ghost written and as we can see uh sometimes you get a really good ghost written book and sometimes you get a really terrible ghost written book um it it's a grab bag um yeah i have a feeling a lot of them are just mediocre yes like middle of the road. They're not bad, but they're not great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is usually par for the course with ghost written. Yeah. Anything is it's not going to be great. It's not going to be terrible. It's going to be kind of like skirting the line of flanderization mm. when it comes to characterization mm-hmm. and and how the author writes. Mm-hmm. So you get this kind of like, it feels like the actual author wrote this, but also what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're very right. It, a lot of them are just kind of, they're fine. Yeah. Um, and you know, sometimes you'll get things out of them that are surprisingly good or do establish things that are more important to the overall narrative. But for the most part, they're monster of the week books. Um, and they're fine. They're fine. <laughs> fine. Um, it's fine. 
Uh, uh, but yeah, let's let's do these ending uh, rankings and questions. Yeah. So possible rankings plot. Uh, that is a fucking ten. Yes, I agree. That is a ten. This is a very we've we've talked about it effusively at this point. It is a good plot. Mm-hmm. This is a good book. This book catches you. Like the only slow part of this book is the very first few chapters mm-hmm. and even then it's not slow it is well paced mm-hmm. it pulls you in and keeps you there mm-hmm. despite the fact that this book is what was that like 22 chapters or something yeah yeah it's short mm-hmm. it's super short it did not take me very long to read this book and i read it last night because i can't read the books days beforehand i have to read them the day before or else i'll forget everything i thought mm-hmm. And it just pulled me the fuck in. And now I know, like, why I remember this book so much better than the rest of them. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just very well done. Yep. Uh, characterization? Also 10. I'm going to say I, at 9 out of 10, just because, like, nobody was out of character, but there were moments where it just kind of yeah. was a little flat, mostly with Rachel. Mm-hmm. Which is a problem that seems to be consistent. Yep. Um, unless if it is very specifically a Rachel book, and even then, and I think it's just because nobody really knows what to do with her. Because mm-hmm. she is such a nuanced character in a way that nobody seems to know what direction to go with. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's... It, but otherwise, like, it's very good characterization. Yeah. It's really just, like, everybody but Cassie's pretty 2D. Yeah. Um which makes sense because everybody just gets sick. Yep. And it, it's just Rachel for some reason always feels more like flat than everybody else even in situations where she's not like like there's not a lot there for people to really do with her. Mm-hmm. Like she just it, it, it people either lean Way too hard one way, or one way too hard the other way, and if they try and stay in the middle, something is lost. Mm-hmm. In a way that I think only like Ka was good at managing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yep. Uh, enjoyability, very good. <laughs> ten, <laughs> ten. Yeah, like this is very, very, very good book. This is. I I would I will probably end up reading this one again just because I was reading so fast that there's definitely some things I missed mm-hmm. just because like of the pacing of the book it's one of those books where you're like I need to read this again because mm-hmm. I definitely missed something not because I was trying to but because like I was just pulled in. Mm-hmm. Uh what was your favorite part? Oh god. Oh, so much. I think Cassie infesting Mr. Tidwell mm-hmm. was my favorite part. Mm-hmm. Not the part where she turned into a yerk. That was bad. But like in a way where it was like not badly written. It was just reading it with my eyes. Yep. <laughs> it was like, yep. ah, yes, this is awful. Yep. Um, but her realizing how it feels to be a yerk infesting somebody was so well written and was very very like i loved it mm-hmm. that that is favorite part second favorite part the last chapter mm-hmm. 
What about you? What was your favorite part? Uh, I really like the part where she's infesting Tidwell. Um, I also really like the brain surgery part. Uh, oh, yeah. The brain surgery is very good. It is very well written. She's just on it. Yeah. Um, Honestly, this book is my favorite. Part. <laughs> <laughs> um, did anything surprise you? Cassie possibly not getting sick. Mm. This is not the first time, I think, where like stuff has happened to everybody else and Cassie either gets it to a lesser extent or not at all. Mm-hmm. And it's part of my brain, like the, the part that is like constantly overthinking everything is like, this means something. Yeah. Cause also, you know, Elemist fuckery. Yeah. But there's also part of this where, like, she probably has a really good immune system mm-hmm. compared to everybody else. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's just, like, the fact that... Eh, I bumped my mic. The fact that um, she didn't seem to get sick at all. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually think that she just didn't get sick because sometimes people just don't get sick. Yeah, um, sometimes they just don't get sick. But favorite pet theory is that uh, um, uh, this was between Krayak and Elemis, and Krayak was like, "All right, uh, next deal. All of all of your kids are gonna get sick." And the Elemis is like, "How about maybe not all of them?" And Krayak is like, "Sure, Cassie is the one who doesn't get sick." And the Elemis is like, "Fuck." But also, <laughs> I have faith. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good pet theory. That is a very good pet theory. I was like, yeah, that tracks. That sounds about right. Um, God, I hate them both. Yeah, they're awful. Uh, was there any part that didn't make sense to you or that you didn't understand? Not really. Mm-hmm. Like, it all was well done, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I can't think of anything. Mm-hmm. Like, even the parts where it was like, oh, she's doing brain surgery. Like, that made sense. Because mm-hmm. that is, honestly, kind of how brain surgery works. At least she didn't have to actively cut into the brain. Mm-hmm. She just had to get a gland off of it. Mm-hmm. So, it made sense. What about you? Uh, No, this is generally my catch-all question for, like, hey, is there any part of this plot or greater lore that you didn't understand <laughs> and that didn't come up in talking about it that I can then explain yeah. to you? That's fair. Yeah. No? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, honestly, the lore was really, really well done. The way that the the Yerk's experiences described was really well done. Like, everything that was presented here mm-hmm. was done well in a way that it's like... Probably when I read this as a kid, it made sense, mm-hmm. even if I don't remember all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, just enough of it that I'm like, ah, yes, this book traumatized me. Because <laughs> uh, it did. Yeah. Uh, and essential Animorphs reading? I think yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Like, th- th- this, read it. You gotta. Yeah. Gotta. Uh, this is the best Cassie book. Yeah. If you can't read it, uh, then take away from it, uh, this idea of, uh, quote unquote, freeing Aftran by turning her into an Othlet. Um, and, uh, I have a feeling that's going to come up again, isn't it? Maybe. 
Um, ah, you fucker. Uh, <laughs> and was there anything that you didn't remember from this book? No, I remembered it you pretty, remember? pretty solidly. I guess the only thing that maybe I didn't remember was like how soon after learning about the, like the thing with Aftrin, how soon they went on that first mission. Because, like, it was literally that same night. They, they learned about it, and they did it. Yeah. They went, and then they fucked up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, they didn't fuck up, but the, one yeah. of them got sick. Uh, that was really the only thing, is just how fast that happened. Um, mm -hmm. The time frame, I guess, of everything. Um, yeah. And like I said multiple times, I fucking didn't remember the first half of this book whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It was just the part where Cassie did stuff as a yerk. Like, she turned into a yerk. She went to the, the, she had to invest somebody. She went to the Yerk pool. Shit happened. Like, mm -hmm. I remembered that. Yeah. Because that, that honestly, that really sticks out because of how against that idea has just, like, even if it hasn't been text, it's just the kids and, like, the idea of Yerks mm -hmm. have been so foreign and not even a possibility to them mm -hmm. that Cassie becoming a yerk and doing this is just it's not out of character for her right but it is something that like if the other animorphs had been well would not have been a plan right like the, if it had been put on the table it would have been shot down immediately mm -hmm. so uh it's this is a good book yeah it is <laughs> Uh, all right. Any last thoughts besides good book, go read? <laughs> <laughs> Again, mind the content warnings. Yes, yeah, do mind the content um, warnings. Mind the content warnings. If you can't read it, but you can listen to us talk about it, that's fine. I've said this multiple times in the past because a lot of times I don't have the spoons to read the books. The way that Danielle does these synopsises is... Very good. I feel like I have read the book. I feel like I've gotten all of the important information from the book that I needed to know. Because you have a very good grasp on what is important in the book and what are the parts that people need to know and what they don't necessarily need to know in a way that's not going to take away from the enjoyability of whatever is going on. Thanks. You know? So, and Jade also does a very good job with mm -hmm. this. You both are very good at this podcast. <laughs> and honestly, if you cannot read with how visceral a lot of this is, um, what we do read out loud is... Honestly, probably the parts you'd be able to read. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else? Eh. <laughs> Uh, I can't think of anything else that I want to say about this because it's just, it is a good book. Mm -hmm. That's it. Good. That's all I got. Good book. Go read. Yep. Uh, 10 out of 10. Yep. Uh, my co-host today has been Izzy. You can find C on the internet at the Sean Deer on Twitter, um, or come talk to Seer on our Discord. Uh, yes. you should also check out Seer uh red wall discussion podcast you didn't have this podcast when last you were on i um, did not go check it was like in the works at the time yeah 
Uh, go check out the Abbey archives, uh, where Izzy and, uh, see so your good friend Kit talk about Redwall. Um, they're going through the books in much the same way that we go through Animorphs here on the Escaville files. Um, and they're just longer. They're just, yeah, the individual books are longer. Um, and, uh, it's good shit. They have really good takes. You should go listen to them talk about it. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. It's good shit. Um, and I have been Danielle. You can continue to find me on the internet at Redtail Talk ninety. Uh, go check out stuff. Um, also, yeah, you should go uh, listen to Danielle on uh, the room where it happened. Yeah, as they have just wrapped up their second season. Yeah, and made everybody emotional about it. Um, <laughs> it's good. Yeah, we're gonna be starting season three soon. Um, yes. Uh, also. Uh, the Standing Stones Podcasting Guild uh, that this podcast is a part of is doing a 12-hour stream on February 26th, uh, which is when you are hearing this. If you're hearing this the day it comes out, it is not this coming weekend, but the weekend after. Um, and Hearthside Enclave is going to be uh, involved with that as well. Yes. Which is our, like, my podcast... Uh, group thing mm -hmm. enclave <laughs> uh, yeah it's an enclave it's similar to a guild yeah. but also yeah we just don't like using the word network yeah because network implies like ads and shit yeah and what ads no. no uh anyway uh we're doing a 12-hour stream uh to support a the uh pride organization of a organization that is near and dear to many of the Standing Stones members' hearts. Um, and uh, we would appreciate it greatly if you would come and check us out, uh, maybe throw a couple dollars uh, towards that organization um, in order to help support the cause. You can find more about that on our Twitter, which is stones underscore standing. Um, and we hope to see you there. It'll be a good time. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's do a clap. Hell yeah. Two time dot is left open like a smart person. At 40? Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs>